Hello, friends. Welcome once again to the Perfect Bound Podcast. This is a podcast all about anything and everything comic books and comics related, brought to you by the Panel and Jumper. My name is Ben, and we have a special episode for you today. Today is actually a rebroadcast of a Panel Jumper Light that Cole Hornaday and I recorded on Monday, March 22nd, 2021, with our guest Mark J. Palm. Mark's been on the show before, so we were excited to welcome him back. And now let's get to the show. And our guest today is an Eisner Award nominee. You've seen his work in Mad Magazine. The second volume of The Fang is out now. We Our guest today is Mark J. Palm. Hello, hello, Mark. Nice to have you back on the show. Oh, nice to have, uh, nice to be here. Thank you very much. We, um, we looked to Mark um, back in the before times um, when I was uh, I was uh, caught in a lurch and needing a guest for the panel jumper live, and our uh, 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 and I was you were recommended to me, and I reached out to you, and you're like, oh gosh, I can't do it, but I still want to come play. And so Mark did uh, join us on um, the Perfect Mount podcast, and we had a wonderful time. And he quickly became one of my favorite local creators. So Mark, you just dropped. Um, Part two of your Fang series. Here's part one. Um, this one called uh, "Weekend at Medusa's," which you have you have there in front of the camera. Um, let me just read the little blurb here you sent us on the on the tear sheet. The Fang Weekend at Medusa's is a uh, a whole weekend of wicked who's who before her life was all fun and profits. Now, after receiving a hallucinogenic snake bite, famed monster hunter the Fang experiences a psychedelic nightmare. Uh, her compatriots, the Hashtag and Weed Witch, dispense scaly insight to help unravel these twisted visions. The Fang is sent on a journey uh, of mythologically epic manipulation and slippery self-awareness. So <laughs> I want to, one of the things I never got to ask you last time we had you on the podcast was, where did the inspiration uh, for the Fang come from? Because she's a Muppet monster slayer. I mean, uh, you, you leaned into the Muppet imagery and also the, the silly, the grotesque and the exceedingly perverse. And that's why I love it. So tell us how, where did, how did you come up with the thing? Well, um, I came up with her as, um, originally I was doing some, like, a a little Instagram poster for a comedy, um, series and they always had like different comedians and they'd seen that me they'd seen me do like Muppet characters in the past and that kind of came from when I did this um a record cover version of Robert Crumb's Cheap Thrills cover mm -hmm. and it was for a uh, art show here in Seattle called Muppets Rock and you're supposed to recreate a cover with Muppets so I took it upon myself to do that one uh, I hadn't seen anybody else do it, thought, you know, if I don't do it as well as I can, someone's going to half-ass it and it's going to be like, mm -hmm. so I wanted to do a really good job and I felt I could. So I did that and something in that, I mean, I had always loved the Muppets my entire life. I thought Jim Henson was like my hero in a way of just like improving yourself and doing something greater all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that, but in that process, I kind of, I couldn't stop drawing people Muppet Lee, like mm -hmm. with the eyes and the mouths. I just <laughs> I thought, you know, why not lean into that? Other people, you know, they get inspiration from the Simpsons or Garfield on how to draw eyes or whatever else. Like, why can't I do it as, you know, Muppets? <laughs> um, and then, you know, like another inspiration is Jack Davis and he did a lot of those Muppets or Sesame street books. Right. Um, 
So that kind of, that kind of bleeds over too. Um, so I was doing these females as Muppets for comedy shows and whatnot. And I just ended up like drawing a character who had like those wax fangs mm-hmm. that you kind of like for Halloween, which had as like a, on the top of her outfit as like a whole dress. Right. And I thought that was kind of funny. Gave her a gun. I was like, all right, this is a vampire who just kills other monsters. Cause she's thinks she's cool enough and badass enough that, you know, well, I can take on other monsters. Humans are boring to me. <laughs> so she hunts them for fun and profit. Um, I, I've put it in there. She drinks their blood. Mm-hmm. I don't really know the answer why she drinks the blood, but you know, it's exotic. It's a, it's a, a new flavor. You can't get anywhere else. Um, so those who've had the benefit of reading the first one, um, it it's a really fun little book, and but it asks more questions than it answers. Um, you know, it asks a lot of questions about who is she, or at least there are questions that pop up in my my mind. It's not like there's a tear sheet within. It's like here are discussion questions for the <laughs> fact. That's not what I mean. What I mean is. Um, you know, just in within the subtext of the storytelling is happening, it, it started asking me questions, which made me want more. So I was very pleased when I saw that you had put together um, Weekend at Medusa's, and that was in the pipeline. Um, but Weekend at Medusa's is clearly going to be part of a multi-part storyline, correct? Yeah, I mean, I know the idea of like you know comic fall off. So issue one you sell this many issue two, you sell less exponentially, right. uh, you know, unfortunately with a lot of things like that. But so I wanted to keep things episodic, but the second one just led to answering some questions or actually, you know, if you were frustrated with the first one, you're going to be really frustrated with this one. Cause it's, it's my, um, <laughs> it, it's goofy, but it's like, it's my empire strikes back. So it's like, you get a <laughs> lot more like, Oh, what's this going to be? What, what, who's that? So I definitely, it's going to have to be longer now. Um, I'm thinking three at the least um, just to kind of pull some things in. And I don't really like uh, number zeros or uh, origin stories or pre, you know, trilogy preview things or whatever prequels. Um, and that stuff just kind of annoys me because there's too many answers. Like, here's all this stuff. It's for, it's for people who can't, they can't handle uh, just loose ends. Right. You know, it's got, everything's got to be nice and tidy and resolved. And yeah. I'm not that way. And I appreciate stuff that leaves me asking, wow, what's this? Who's that? Well, I was, then you're, you know, I, I wasn't annoyed at all. Was, I, I think oh. it's, like, um, it's more like uh, I appreciate the fact that the world is more fleshed out. So um, oh, yeah. now I knew I, I got a better idea of how she fit into the culture in which she lives, the people that she hangs out with. It's just, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's very brass tacks with the first one. It's very fleshed out. It's, and then there's meat on the bones in the second one. So I'm really excited about what's going to be happening in the third one. I'm a little bit sad if you don't go further because, Oh yeah, no, gotta go. I, there's so much I love about, um, uh, this book. And one of the things I got to tell you that I love is this format. What made you choose this little pocketbook style format like this? It's for myself. It's just, it's satisfying. Uh-huh. Like it's just a good size. Um, and it's, you know, I get them cheaply printed through lulu.com. Hmm. And so what, you know, one of the major things I'm sure they still publish most of is paperback books. 
And, you know, it's a small, cheap press kind of thing, the same kind of stuff you see at Goodwill or bookstores or whatever. So I wanted that feel. I mean, if I could go cheaper and have the paper, like, really pulpy, uh-huh. then I would. But it, I don't know. I haven't gotten to that point of finding a printer I could do that with. Um, that disintegrates after 20 years or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just kind of crumble a little bit. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, it was, it's a good size. Larry, uh, Larry Reed at the Fantagraphic store talked about how certain books have, you know, sell really well if they're price, you know, the price points low and they're like a small little thing. People are way more willing to just kind of pick it up. It's like impulsive buys, maybe. I don't know. But I thought that would be, you know, that kind of ties in. It's like, well, all right, we'll make it small, not make a big thing that you got to carry around and it's heavy or whatnot and nice and handy. Um, I think what I also appreciate is the fact that when I first laid eyes on on the hard copy of this, it did remind me of um, paperbacks from the 70s on the turnstiles uh, on the uh, on the turn rack at uh, a grocery store, particularly the way you painted the cover with the and, and we've got this the, 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 the chalk or uh, pastel texturing and the font. Um, and the logo font, it's like, yeah, that, that looks like something that I would grab and mom and go, no, no. no. It's very evocative of those old pulp. Uh, so yeah. Moms should be stopping their kids yeah. <laughs> from reading this one, but no, that's absolutely <laughs> the inspiration. Um, I, you know, I, I went through, I, you know, bring up Goodwill or, you know, Valley Village. I went through and just like photographed the backs of books to get that, you know, to get this look. I was like, it's a culmination of different things where I saw styles I'm like, oh yeah, okay. I like how they did this um, in interior pages and how they did the contents or whatever. All that stuff is like really important. I wanted to take the essence of all these paperbacks and people's memories. I'm like, oh yeah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I mean, the covers are inspired by Mexican pulp novels. I found mm-hmm. a book that Feral House released and just the way they juxtapositioned like the big head in the back and like the lighting and the gouache, you know, like they're a little rough, but they're, yeah, that's about what I wanted to go for. I think that cool. was <laughs> as good as I could get. Um, so do you have any notion of where you, uh, can you give us any tidbits of where you want to go next with the story? Um, on that one hand, I did say I didn't like origin things. I don't know. There might be, you know, stuff needs to be revealed. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of how it goes, but I, I don't want to do like, you know, previously on or back in the day. So I think we're going to find out like kind of how she, how she is the way she is. Um, now that, you know, she's an assassin or a hired gun. So she works for somebody. Those people have people, you know, there's different organizations. It's the, I take a lot of influence from James Bond movies or like born identity kind of stuff. There's really great assassins that's follow a day in the life but this this chick also happens to be a stoner and a vampire um <laughs> which kind of just slows down the narrative a little bit get into like who she's working for who's sure. after her you know the the major themes throughout this whole book is monster hunting monster hunting monster you know like who's the monster mm-hmm. you might hunt it next there's someone above you that's just kind of how life goes but make with fangs instead <laughs> So you recently did a um, uh, uh, a launch party, a virtual launch party with Kelly Fro and the gang at, at Short Run. How did that go? Oh, that was that was great. Uh, you know, I got to I got to hand it to Kelly for um, asking me to you know partake in that. She knew that 
as you know, as she keeps an eye on so much of the Seattle comics industry or I mean, internationally, whatnot, you know, she saw that I was doing a thing, asked me to be a part of it. I was nervous cause I've never done much of this video stuff. Um, but my girlfriend and I set up where we tried to do some like a pseudo infomercial. So less of an interview or talking with people. Um, I saw some, you know, like, home shopping network kind of stuff. And I thought that'd be kind of fun to do. You know, there's a, there's a great, there's an amazing piece of home shopping network history on YouTube right now. And it's with Todd McFarlane and he's selling us like a box of spawn and he's in there drawing, he's answering phone calls by kids. It's great. So I'm going to rip off all that, all that text (laughs) and stuff around the framing. I'm going to, you know, reshare the video with all that stuff kind of added. Cool. Um, I, I like those. I like that authenticity of those weird retro things and kind of just bring people back. <laughs> I wonder what kind of regrets the industry will have in days gone by. It's like, you know, those guys took a lot of risks and said, this isn't selling. We're going to sell product. Um, and, you know, especially, you know, Todd McFarlane and, and company, they knew no shame. So they kind of set a different standard of expectation for how you sell comic books. And before we started this call, um, you and I were talking about how marketing your own work is an art in and of itself. And no one, I mean, it's, it's a whole new thing you got to learn beyond being, uh, building your confidence as a, as a creator and a storyteller. What have you, what have you learned about marketing your own work in the last, I mean, at least since the start of the pandemic? Yeah, well, you know, it's, I, you know, it, it doesn't really show too much, but I've been, you know, self-publishing little zines or comics since I was like 15 years old. And that was back in the nineties. And so, you know, at back, back then it was kind of easy because I was in a small town and I had two comic shops, which was a lot, but one shop would actually let me sell my stuff on the shelf next to the big two and stuff. And it would, it would sell. So I'd be like, Oh, well you just show up, you make this stuff. I've come, you know, now I'm 40 something and seeing how things go, especially how rapidly it's increasing in weird ways on the internet. But like, you can't just show up anymore. You can't just make a comic and expect it to sell, expect a fan base, expect them to, you know, like you've got to do more. You've got to make it. You've got to promote it. You got to talk about it. Like it's your favorite thing. You got to like need this thing. It's like, it's work. And you know, that's, that's a lot. It's something that, you know, like I grew out of being like a super shy introvert kind of person into someone who's now on a podcast video or whatever, you know, or like approaching people and talking to them about, Hey, what about this and this and that it's a lot of work and it's hard and not many people have it in them. So I think I've learned things about myself and how to actually get past, you know, those barriers or that fear. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's something I'd, I'd encourage other people to try to investigate because it's it's going to take more than just posting your stuff on Instagram. Yeah, it is super hard. There is so much content out today. And, you know, with the democratization of creator tools, you know, like you're talking about, like people can people with a phone can make videos. People with a lower level uh, or entry level laptop can have a whole publishing suite at their fingertips. You know, it's how do you how do you get through to uh to your reader and uh yeah it's 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 a never-ending battle 
Yeah, I think it's, I think knowing your reader or having some vague idea of an audience is, I think would be really helpful because I, I believe in limits or, you know, like give me constraints. Uh, The open, the open blank page is frightening because it's limitless ultimately. I mean, not that I can do everything I want, but like there's too much possibilities. So limit it. Give me a deadline. Give me, I want. I want people with long hair. I listen to metal. I want people who like vampires. I want, you know, so you kind of put it into these categories and then you aim at that really, really hard. And you try to get to that one thing. That's like, these people like this stuff, go at them. Then it's going to spread out. Like most things do. I mean, I've been, I believe in fractals and I believe in practicality of life. And I think that there are patterns that, you know, you come up, you start here and it goes big. It's going to branch off. There's going to be more and it's like selected. The output of one event becomes the input of another. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> I've been, so, side note, uh, I've been working on a panel jumper episode about Alan Moore's big numbers which is incomplete magnum opus, which is essentially about uh, chaos in, in, in reality and fractals. And so, sorry, you, you touched oh, the awesome. chord there, friend. You touched the chord. And Ben, bless his heart, finally um, made his first swing at um, at, uh, at my oversized uh, first draft. So we'll see what's going to happen with that. Yeah. Um, big numbers is Alan Moore's unfinished over. The big number panel jumper episode is Cole Hornaday's finished over. <laughs> <laughs> just needs to be and cut down a bit just that uh, yeah it needs to be it needs some trimming but uh we'll keep you posted on that <laughs> yeah. um, let's let's do let's uh, go back in the wayback machine in half a second let's go back before the before times before um the pandemic before our our lives kind of became um uh uh, uh frozen cut off and and in a you know in an ongoing seizure so, <laughs> we first last time we talked to you was uh, just after the the Eisner uh, Award nomination um, uh, for the, your contribution to Mad Magazine. Um, I want to know a little bit about how that, uh, in in the bigger picture, how that impacted your life, how that impacted your life as a creator and a storyteller, and what that what did it do or didn't do for your confidence. Um. And that's a big question. Um, oh, I should have given it to you in advance. I apologize. Oh, no, no, no. I I, I sort of expected it because we, you kind of hinted at something like this. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's been wild. It's, it has given me, you know, quite a bit of confidence, especially once, you know, I kind of broke through and was able to do more than that one piece for Matt. So I did, I think, four, five at the most. Um, and another one of the final issues where they had original content from, you know, freelancers, you know, I had another big two page spread. That was the Dr. Seuss spinoff of, um, about, you know, environmental stuff. And so I had to, I had to recreate Dr. Seuss and that was a, a whole nother bag outside of the, the ever gory thing. But with that being so well accepted that I had the confidence, okay, I can do this. You know, I can, I can nail Dr. Seuss too. Let's try that. And I had to do him twice for mad. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it changed a lot of things. I mean, to get kind of, you know, deep about it, like once that, you know, once that happened, it checked off a bunch of things that I didn't think were, I was going to get to 
at least this soon or, you know, maybe never, you know, I got public recognition, but, you know, my words are in the New York times somewhere, you know, there's like lots of that kind of stuff going on. So these are things like as an artist, your ideals are like, Oh yeah, you want to get here. You want to be at this point, you want to talk to these people. And so I got to those things. And then I actually was, um, I was offered quite a bit of money for the original art from a big museum. Whoa. So I sold that. Nice. So my art's been purchased and is in a museum now, you know, it's, <laughs> those are like big checks. And all, you know, before that, even like the most, you know, the really intense one is like the emotional impact my art had, mm-hmm. you know, doing, creating that work, whether it was just because someone was, you know, nostalgic forever gory and they felt a big connection and, you know, felt I did a good job or just like the impact of Matt Cohen's words and how it put together and like reached people and caused people to cry. I mean, back in my early twenties, being an artist growing up, I'm like, Oh man, I just want to make, I want anyone to react. You know, if someone like threw up because I saw a piece, I would know that <laughs> I did something, you know, ah, I made somebody so, feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not just like scoff um but yeah so like all these things have been checked off and you know it's kind of wild um but i you know i can't stop i mean i i pushed myself even further with a fang than i thought i was gonna go like it took four years there were things like mad and going to conventions and whatever that I got in the way in a like, 40 hour week job but i'm glad i didn't get it out sooner because without all that experience with all that like time on the table mm-hmm. wouldn't have been as good right. um and experience and learning about stuff and like how to phrase things better that's like it was really well-rounded so yeah it's kind of an intense situation to kind of go through especially in like my 40s or whatever mid you know midlife crisis time or something <laughs> identity is like what yeah so yeah. how has uh how has it been creating during the pandemic for you? What's that been like for you? Well, I'm fortunate that the pandemic didn't really, it didn't really upset my life at all. In like, I still have my, you know, main, uh, my job, my main money maker, uh, 40 hours a week, still working at the warehouse, getting books out. Cause that increased. So I had to be there all the time. And so the only thing that really changed was like the social aspect of going out. Um, my girlfriend and I were pretty social before going to parties and she used to host shows and whatnot. So we'd do that. So that kind of died off, but there was always something to do. Um, I couldn't, you know, I, I was working on a board game. I've designed uh, a tabletop card game through the pandemic. I did some other freelance work for uh, Airbnb, which unfortunately didn't open before the pandemic and I don't know if they're going to now, but good luck to them. Um, so yeah, I was just working on other freelance things to kind of keep things going. And, you know, I, I felt, <laughs> I felt jealous of people who had a lot of time in their hands. And had all that, like, <laughs> I'm alone and I have too much time on my hands. Like, Oh, right. give me some, I, I got something to do with that. Like, give me some of this, you know, being solitary oh yeah it'd be great so but you know grass is greener as i talk to people they're like i hated it i just needed to get out and i'd rather have my job and it's like you know i think it depends on the 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 nature of your personality i'm an extroverted introvert and i 
you know, I'm, I, uh, I miss my friends. I theater life, uh, you know, that was, that was my outlet for interacting with the community, creating, collaborating, you know, um, we haven't been able to produce a live show or, or create a web series for a whole year episode of the web series for a whole year. So that was very hard, but, you know, for my part, I've had a lot of time to read and write and research and do things on my own terms. So, um, and I, there was a meme that was going around. It was like, you really need to check in on your extrovert friends. This is a really terrible time. <laughs> for them. Like that's funny, but I don't get it in its entirety because I'm okay. Every year. <laughs> I got the cat, I got the books, I got the TV, you know? So yeah, but I get the fact that they're, um, it was really, it has been very, very painful for a lot of people. And uh, I get that. So I was just kind of curious of how you were creating in that, in that space, in this space, and if there's anything that's that's come up that's inspired you within the confines of of being in the in the pandemic, but it doesn't sound like your regular live a day life has radically changed, like mine has or Benjamin's. No, um, the one thing that has changed as far as the social interaction, though, that is greatly missed is um, the the monthly mini comic night that I used to host at the Cafe Racer, mm-hmm. the Spoon Mini Comics, right. That was a monthly thing that I would put together. The zine made up of artwork that was created the month prior and then hand out that zine, collect more art, hand out a next zine next month, you know, over and over and see these same people or see brand new people. I would, you know, I could get between 40 and 60 people in a night, come through, hand off artwork, introduce themselves, or, you know, we chat, catch up about stuff. Mm-hmm. That's gone. Yeah. And the racer doesn't exist in that, you know, in that situation anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a big drought. I mean, there's a, there's a bit of like relief. It's like, Oh, okay. I don't need to do this anymore. I can use this time for something else, but man, the, the networking or that's a bad word, but like the more of just like the interaction with the community yeah. is gone. And that's like, man, really miss that. And it's not the same online. Yeah. You know, like oh. I've been on discord I've, you know, chatted with a couple of people or like, it's just, there's something totally different. I could, I don't think it could be done in this video sort of aspect either. And people have tried and I got to be close to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that, that, I think that's, that's understated in terms of creators. Like you, 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 if you're not an artist, you think of an artist as like this solo person at home going, I'm, I'm creating or like painting or whatever, or writing by them, you know, some, some person locking themselves in a room and, and writing all day and ignoring their family. Uh, but a lot of it happens in the community, right? This thing that Cole and I started happened because I just cornered him after a play one day, you know? And it's just one of the one of those things that people, yeah, like you said, people need that connection, need that interaction, not just to maintain themselves as like a human being, but also to like to come up with new ideas. Yeah, yeah um, collaboration is key. You know, I I I like collaborating with people. It's you know, Punch to Kill Three is on the docket next. Um, and that's, you know, been working a lot with Kevin and Will, the writers, the creators, um, you know, and they got their things they're working on, but it's like, yeah, there's, there hasn't been a whole lot of that thing with Dune was amazing because there were no themes and the title had nothing to do with, you know, the book or the movie or anything. It was just Dune. Mm -hmm. But man, there were times with laying it out and seeing all these different pages 
and realized that there was a theme somehow. I could kind of lay out the book in some sort of fashion where like a snake. It's like, okay, this there's a lot of dark stuff. There's a lot of funny stuff. Break it up. But yeah, that was like the, the magic of just having a group of people there in a night create work. I mean, there's nothing else like that. A monthly anthology of 40 to 60 people doing stuff within five hours. Right. Yeah, that you you kind of uh, I jumped to the next question I had for you was the status of uh, a punch of the next punch to kill. Um, yeah. uh, so is that did that uh, did the process um, uh, collaborating with um with with Kevin and Will on that did that get sort of hung up with the pandemic or is it just is it still kind of following the course it it had um, when he started on the bullying issue? Um. It's it's kind of stayed its course since I was, you know, I got backlogged with a bunch of other stuff working on the Fang. I could, didn't have much time to actually work on Punch to Kill, so that was another one where we were just like spending time when we did like if we were just talking or whatnot. Um, it it was kind of coming up with ideas. Let's try this. Let's try that. And Kevin just shooting ideas over. So I do wish we could have sat down over beers and talked everything out and. Um, but it's yeah, it's been kind of all right. I think we can work well in that situation. So, um. so in the perfect pony world, Mark, in the perfect pony world, where you are connected with a community of, of of puppet makers, fabricators, and puppeteers, what are your thoughts on possibly producing a puppet stage adaptation of the Fang? Oh, that'd be hilarious. That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> what would you think about that do you think that would be fun yeah um the first thing that comes to mind is, like the thing i could most probably relate to is uh manos the hands of felt yep. that i i saw years ago at the annex and that was uh i knew one of the puppeteers too so i got to see you know him creating stuff and going through it and it's like that was a lot of fun yeah um, we are all we are very well acquainted with all those folks um nice particularly Rachel, Rachel Jackson and, uh, and uh, her husband, Bob, who came up with the concept in the first place. And then uh, if you, if you have the patience, you can paw your way back to the old um, Perfect Bound podcast episodes where we actually had a whole come together moment with um, uh, the director, uh, Tanya Tomic of who directed Manos Returns and oh, yeah. with, um, uh, Jackie Ray, Naaman Jones uh, 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 on the, uh, on the on the wire from from Oregon, she played the original Debbie and the original Manos. Manos. Wow. Yeah, um, that you you already tapped into that scary part of my brain where I went. <laughs> I, didn't to, I didn't have to give you any crucial guidance. Um, yeah, we worked with Rachel on numerous projects, a Howard the Duck project, which inspired her to create the first Panel Jumper spinoff, which is called Jose and the Hawk. Oh. Uh, is a police procedural with uh, a, a puppet and a human and puppets and humans. And it's a So um, we're very also. familiar with the puppet community. Yeah. I think the Fang <laughs> is really, uh, is I think is cut out for some sort of uh, live action puppetry. If not like a, um, if not a, a, uh, translation of the f- story then at least some sort of like marketing oh, vehicle yeah. to like get because you know the fang what i love about the main character is that she's so um 
cleanly drawn yet very expressive <laughs> and and so i think even just that some some sort of like live action puppety to do marketing for that would be fantastic yeah yeah that would be super fun because yeah that's the fun thing about again i guess it's sort of limitations is like i have to imagine her having these facial features that are Muppet-esque and how, you know, and just watching how they've done the Muppets and how to angle them and whatnot is like gives different emotions and give different perspectives. This is going to be really creepy to see. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to <laughs> have some physical, some sort of physical thing in case I got hung up on shadows or something like that, but it's incomplete. So I'll say that, but okay. uh, there's a little, Oh yeah. <laughs> Markless. That is absolutely marvelous. But did, did you make that? Yeah, I sculpted that. Um, nice. But yeah, because I just wanted, there's just certain angles, you know, and I, of I unless I had a, a count puppet, uh, I don't, you know, I'd have to figure those kind of things out. And sure. that's, that's been kind of fun. Now, I don't know if uh, the Jim Henson company has been very, like, if they are, cracking down on IP, but they are owned by Disney now who are very famously protective of their yeah. IP. Are you worried at all about somebody finding the Fang and, and somebody from Disney saying, look, dude, this is too close to our stuff. I can see it, but I think like how I described earlier, the, you know, if you did that, then you got to go. I hope that they go after everybody. They need to go after, uh, you know, Tezuka then and be like, ah, Sorry, your stuff looks a little too much like Disney. I mean, there's so much stuff that people kind of like mimic or kind of see and kind of like play with their own things. I'm I'm just a natural born mimic of some sort. Like I I, I pick up people's phrases, their the way of speaking. Uh, you know, I get all these ideas, and also just the way I draw and how I create art is based on like, oh, I gotta create this now. I can now I can use it. It's sort of like a, well, okay, I can go this far and see what the, the tools they used or whatever else. Now I understand it. Now I can put that in my toolbox. Right. So, I mean, that's that's how I would argue against it. I think it would be kind of funny. <laughs> um, but also I'd maybe want to strike up a strike up a deal with them. Like, well, would that be it? Stop? <laughs> yeah. Well, like, would that be a legit feather in your cap? If you got a letter, a cease and desist letter from Disney, you'd be like, Disney knows who I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. That's always the thing, you know, like if you're doing graffiti or if you're doing any sort of thing and you get a cease and desist, it's a little punk pride right there. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 You saw it. Um, I, you know, I, it was the story of like the air pirates, like they might not have even gotten in trouble if the guy left it didn't leave copies on the table for disney yep. executives to see so it's have you read the book the, the the pirates and the mouse i've read about half of it so i know that much <laughs> actually believe it or not i'm so glad you brought that up because um i actually i've been I, it was a pandemic read it was an early pandemic read wow. it's been on my 2d red shelf um for those not familiar um back in uh, kind of the early days of the underground movement the bay area um underground comics movement um, this com this collective, and I'm sorry, Mark, I can't think of the 
the fellow who headed the collective right off the bat. His name will come I to me. And either I can grab the book. But. I'll look it up. Uh, but yeah, they they started doing these. Um, initially, they were just kind of uh, uh, pornographic uh, Disney comics. I don't think they really got into like valuable social satire until the second issue. Um, before they were just you know doing a lot of psychedelics, a lot of drugs, living in a warehouse owned by Francis Ford Coppola partying and then they're drawing comics on the side and challenging the status quo uh via disney and it was one of the first big uh disney um ip lawsuits where they were like you can't touch the mouse the mouse is untouchable um and uh and it drug on for 20 years oh it was i mean i'm, I'm asking not telling yeah oh i don't recall i know i did i know it did go on for a long time yeah but, uh... it was excruciatingly long and ridiculous time and, and I do recommend the book just so you got, uh, you've got in your back pocket the understanding of, of what happens when you challenge some, uh, something as monolithic as the mouse. Um, you know, and this is in the early 70s. Disney wasn't half as the, 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 the gaunt or the, the, the monolithic organization that they are now. Um, uh, I, I got to tell you, though, I lost patience with the whole thing. I lost patience with the whole culture. I'm like, because at some point I'm like, you know, you're kind of just doing this on a lark. You're doing it to, to, to kick the elephant in the ass. And the elephant is like, doesn't really care ultimately because it's going to stomp on your little ass at some point yeah. and, <laughs> and just wipe you off its little foot. It's, it's big, big foot. So mm-hmm. I don't really know what was accomplished, but I think it's worthy of paying attention to that little moment in history just where underground comic books and challenging ip is concerned oh yeah i think i think that book i you know bring up larry reed again we just had stories because he we brought up like what was the the great sky falls or something like that it was like a festival music festival a bunch of hippies the grateful dead were there Mm -hmm. you know hell's angels all that stuff was going on and this is like north of here in you know in washington and that's like, now I have, I have context, you know, I haven't been to major festivals, but I've seen enough. I know about festival life, know about how they're just, you know, parking lots full of drugs and whatnot. It's like a big thing that was happening at the around comics. It's like this whole amazing culture happening there. And again, with the fractals, it kind of feels like this is the this sort of things that's happening right now. Sure. I mean, it's a lot sure. of counterculture. There's a lot of drug positivity. There's a lot of openness towards it. There's a lot of the sexual revolution, you know, coming back comics being underground and being specific to us, you know, subculture or whatnot. It's, it's kind of coming back. So that book is kind of like fancy and, uh, or, you know, more relevant than, you know, other times maybe. So the book that um, we're talking about is called The Pirates and the Mouse, Disney's War Against the Underground. It was written by Bob Levin, um, published back in 2003 by, by whom? Fanographics. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's the organization, the, the, the collective that uh, uh, perpetrated all this was a group put together by a gentleman named uh, Dan O'Neill and the Air Pirates um, was, uh, of course, named after the Air Pirates comics of Mickey Mouse. Uh, was the name of that group. So um, you know what I would love? I mean, I here's one of the downsides of, of uh, living in my little pandemic bubble and reading and whatnot is I don't get a chance to like sit in a bar and chit chat and get other people's feedback on things. So 
anybody within the sound of my voice, if you had an opportunity to read the book, or if you're thinking about reading the book, please read the book. Let's talk about the book. I would love to talk about this book. And uh, I'll put that onus on you, Mark J. Palm. You need to finish reading the book so we can talk about it. Panel Jumper Book Club. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad idea, really. So um, talk about, tell us about uh, what other um, uh, uh, plans you have to better promote um, Weekend at Medusa's. What, so you had the, the rollout with, um, with the short run. Um, you've got other plans. And how can people find your book? Okay. Um, so I had seen other creators really do, a, you know, a mathematical job of releasing stuff. I mean, seeing someone do a Kickstarter and have that go off super well, it was, you know, pretty inspiring, but also realizing how much work was involved in creating that and timing it and getting all the, you know, I don't know if I can do a Kickstarter right now. I don't know if I have it in me because like of the physical where it would probably take, I already pack boxes of books 40 hours a week. Um, but <laughs> it's going to, you know, uh, so I had to like kind of figure out, okay, I want to release it on this date because I got well the deadline of the the short run thing. That's to figure out this time, figure out when to do it. Now I have to release this. So I had to get all my ducks in order as far as like it's on Etsy. Um, you can search um it's like Etsy slash shop swell zombie is in there. It's not my name. Um but that's where you can find the fang, one, two, punch to kill, like a bunch of zines and stickers. Um, but I wanted that to roll out on the same day as the release thing to kind of, I don't know. I mean, I miss the times of intruder when we have, you know, parties at comic shops to be like, Hey, it's a free paper, but come and hang out and like talk to us about it and pick it up. And we got free beer or whatever. I, you know, so I kind of felt like I needed to do something like that. And also, you know, social media, you want to push, you know, I could just released it and said, Hey, it's on Lulu, you can go buy it. And they could, or they couldn't. But if I make it enough of a, a deal about it and kind of, you know, remind people, um, that was kind of a thing that another fear to get over is like uh, annoying people with like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. I'm doing this thing. I'm doing this thing. But Kevin Clark put it best when he said that, you know, like you can just, ignore somebody's post if they're like talking about their thing just keep scrolling like you'd scroll past something crappy you know you don't have to give it the like all the time and whatever but if you're annoyed by this advertising constantly i mean like think about it coca-cola still advertises even though everybody everybody knows coca-cola right that's right but they still have to advertise yep you know to keep it in the mind's eye like you might be seeing it 50 times but someone might see it once Mm -hmm. and that's the thing. So you got to hammer it into people. Um, So with social media stuff I've been doing, um, I'm going to release that video. Like I said, it's like a home shopping network type of thing Mm -hmm. that has reading in it with my girlfriend and um, the inspiration for the hashtag is Megan Angus, a local witch and astrologist and tarot reader. And she's fantastic. Great. Um, so she did the voice of the hashtag and Rachel did the voice of the fang and uh, the weed witch. And so that's in that little video. I'm trying to just do this kind of stuff and make a little trailer, um, which is inspired by something weird video, which I'm very fond of exploitation aesthetics. Um, so yeah, soon, you know, this has been a really great opportunity. I appreciate this. Um, 
I'm going to possibly be on another podcast. Uh, someone in Portland hit me up after finding my books down there at um, Comics Cave PDX. Hmm. They hit it up and they said that they want to do a piece on me in their horror zine. Excellent. I, nice. um, I asked for a, uh, a PDF copy, just kind of see what they have. And he's like, nope, I don't believe in it. It's not a, it goes against my zine religion. So I'll, I'll mail you a copy. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah, that's great. It's going to be all hand done. Um, and that's called the stapled spine, which I think is a great title for a zine. Um, so yeah, I'm going to do, yeah, I've got um, a pl- one plug that I wanted to do. Go for it. Just as far as like uh, what I've also been doing through the pandemic is I found an amazing creator I, I, tons of people have found this kid, but I turned up uh, Dynamite Diva, hmm. self-published out of Canada. Um, well, this this particular one was uh, by the Strangers Fanzine, which has been huh. a terrific zine. This one covers Tom Neely and Keenan Marshall Keller, um, but this is like super underground zine stuff. They're into all sorts of like these up and coming people. They're going to do, you know, I've sent them a review copies, but that character Dynamo D was created by Jasper Juvenile. And this kid is only 20 years old. He's blown everyone's mind. And I was able to do an interview with him. Published in bubbles. This one's number eight or number nine. Mark, where can people find these bubbles? You can find it at bubbles.com. I believe. Um, Also a lot of, a lot of comic shops are carrying it. He's got great distribution. Um, but yeah, I was able to pull off a fang nice. advertisement. Perfect. So, um, but yeah, that's been a great thing to kind of like tap into writing and you know that whole connecting to a, a, a community. Now the internet's a bigger community. So I saw that kid and I wanted to like spread the wealth or get people to know about them. And mm-hmm. no, that's marvelous. Hey, Ben Lawrence, did we have yeah. anybody in the chat who has questions for, um, Mr. Palm? Nope, but I do. I did look up um, the Fang Volume Two on Etsy, and it's got a bestseller tag on it. So congratulations <laughs> on that! <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, boy, I got a bunch of those out. Very encouraged. You know, working on this thing for so long, you get so close to it with something that's like a Muppet vampire woman who is adorable sex and werewolves and you know and assassins like is this just really is this just just a really weird joke that i think is funny i hope people get into this and so it's been encouraging um a lot of retailers picked it up too that's been awesome i'm all over the map now um so yeah that feels amazing cool all right. Uh, well, <laughs> well, uh, uh, we look forward to the Fang Volume Three whenever that comes out. Uh, I know you're. Uh, I don't know if you've started working on it yet, but we, we, if you, if you are planning on it, if you're not uh, working on, it, we, we look forward for it. Yeah. yeah. Please send us oh, all yeah. your video marketing material so we can plug it on the pound jumper. Um, oh yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, so oh, yeah. to lead us out, tell us what your, tell us what your hopes and, and, and dreams and plans are, um, for the next phase of your creative life. 
not a small question. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It'll, it'll kill Sorry, well, I'll give, I, can, I can drag this out. Um, <laughs> um, geez, you know, I, I got so. Oh, I also participated in this local newspaper. Um, that's like the third generation of intruder. Mm-hmm. Um, called Scarf with three F's. Um, I did a page in that, uh, their wrestling issue, and I brought back my uh, a comic character I created in the 90s when I was in high school, the, the ant. Um, he's a, a questionable um, midget wrestler. You know, some people claim that he's too tall, something he's not tall. You know, he's like, I'm within regulation. So there's all this kind of arguments. Um, and I worked on that with um, my coworker, Darren Chase. He's really into wrestling. He got me into like the history of wrestling. But um, so that was in Scarf. In the upcoming Scarf in October, I'm going to be doing a two-page spread uh, in their vampire-themed issue, So, which is kind of perfect. And so there are probably going to be some Fang there. So that'll probably be the next thing to kind of catch a you know, Fang-like. Um, but yeah, with this, I don't know. I want to, you know, obviously going to keep doing comics and keep self-publishing as long as I can. If I get a better deal, then I'll go for it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a part of me that misses the editorial kind of bits of things like putting together Dune or putting together Intruder. Mm-hmm. If I had an opportunity to be an editor and choose things and art direct, and I, that would be, that'd be a nice thing to kind of do. I think I can, I'm good at, pulling things out and finding people um, and yeah, just kind of doing that. And like, uh, that wouldn't be a bad thing in my 20 year goal, I guess. <laughs> if, if comics and editing still exist by then. <laughs> Love it. Uh, yeah. I'm sure they will. Uh, Mark, uh, it's uh, thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to search out your stuff, what's a good place? Where's a good place to go to find you? Um, I'm all, uh, Instagram's great. I post there con- constantly. Uh, my Etsy store is a great place to find any sort of zines. I also have a Patreon. Um, and there I've got, you know, works in progress stuff. I do, you know, it's like the fan group or it's the fan club of like the Fang and Punch to Kill. So I try to treat it as like, hey, you're the first people to see this. So here's the video, here's a PDF, here's a new zine, and I mail them out to people and um, really try to focus on that kind of thing. And that's at uh, Patreon, Mark Palm. I think that I don't I forget the website. I don't speak <laughs> HTTP. <laughs> um, but I can give you guys the links. Yeah, please um, but yeah, that kind of those are the kind of places. But I, I'm all over the internet. So if you just search my name, you can find some weird out there. <laughs> All Tumblr right. is a good place. Just so everybody knows, it's Mark with a C and a J yes. and a palm. palm it's cram backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. All righty. Well, uh, uh, that's it for us. Uh, Mark, thank you for joining us. Cole, good to see you. Always good to see you. All right. And uh, thank you for watching. And uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>